Hello and welcome to the second episode in this podcast series from the Linklater's Employee Incentives Team on the lessons PLCs can take from the financial services sector in managing risk and setting board pay. I'm Mirit Ehrenstein, Council PSL in the team. And I'm Ben McCarthy, an associate in the team here in London. In this episode, we're going to look at how an increasing focus of how regulatory regimes are applied in practice relates to risk adjustment. And this is likely to spill over into the PLC sphere. This really is the single most important principle that underlies the FS pay regimes. Within just one of the codes implementing the CRD4 and 5 regimes in the UK, in the chapter on bank remuneration policies, the word risk appears around 70 times. To quote that code, the aim of the remuneration code is to ensure that firms have risk-focused remuneration policies which are consistent with and promote effective risk management and do not expose them to excessive risk. That focus on risk adjustment is very obvious in the financial services sector. After all, the political impetus to regulate FS sector pay came out of the perceived excess risk taking that led to the global financial crisis. Exactly right, Ben. Risk here can mean financial type risks. So there is a clear focus on the extent to which the performance criteria used to determine bonus awards take into account risk. In the FCA handbook, they say, and I'm quoting, that aligning variable awards to sustainable financial performance requires firms to make appropriate adjustments to take account of the potential for future unexpected losses. Performance measures commonly used, such as earnings per share, total shareholder return, and return on equity, are not suitably adjusted for longer-term risk factors and have a tendency to incentivize highly leveraged activities. So Ben, this says that the popular EPS, TSR, return on equity performance measures can lead to increased risk. And Marie, that's, that's obviously interesting in view of the most common PLC LTIP performance conditions. And so what do regulators mean here? Well, they mean that metrics such as these may be capable of producing results which are not necessarily fully reflective of the business and what the business has done to produce the performance outcome over the longer term. That's it. Here's a trite but clear example. A bank that suddenly starts taking on more risk, maybe with higher leverage, might receive higher earnings and higher EPS in the short term, or if everything goes to plan, maybe even over the longer term. But a regulator may question whether it's appropriate to take those results at face value in awarding remuneration if the bank knows that its added risk is lurking under the surface. So the takeaway from this isn't that you have to end up doing things in the same way a bank does. Clearly, a bank has a huge range of bespoke metrics designed at controlling its risk and prudential position. Rather, the lesson here is that planning for the longer term means trying to ensure that performance outcomes reflect what is being done underneath the surface, rather than only reflecting the financial results. Exactly. Also, this does not mean just financial risk. We mean all types of non-financial risk as well. 
And if you replace the word risk here with non-financial metrics, we've moved from risk adjustment, which sounds very specialized for banks, to reflecting non-financial performance or metrics. That sounds like a real hot topic for investors and is a focus for the government in today's PLC world, for example, with ESG factors. Thanks, Marit. So what is risk adjustment of remuneration? And it is done through several tools. Deferral and holding periods are intended to mitigate risky conduct. They do this by telling participants that they are going to feel the impact of such decisions through the share price over the longer term. That linkage to share price is referred to as implicit risk adjustment. But that's not always enough. And so we get to ex post risk adjustment. This just means malice and clawback. It's how we can adjust remuneration outcomes after they have happened for risk. That is, assuming we have the proper powers, which is something we covered in episode three in our first podcast series on the corporate governance code's impacts on pay. We're going to look at a few more aspects of these in more detail in the next few episodes. So moving away from that, I want to mention two more risk adjustment tools used in the financial services sector. The first is an accrual period. That's really another name for a performance period. The idea from the European Banking Authority is that the longer the period over which performance is measured, the more this smooths risk in the interim. The second risk adjustment tool is what's called the balanced scorecard approach, which is common in bonuses. But what about LTIPs? Yes, so can you risk adjust an LTIP? And I think the lessons in relation to risk adjustment are also very relevant for considering non-financial metrics. What we are asking is whether we can operate an LTIP that takes into account more than just financial metrics. And Ben, this brings us to the balanced scorecard approach. This takes into account a range of metrics, including non-financial metrics, another hot topic for PLCs. This is set out in the FRC board guidance, which accompanies the corporate governance code. The board guidance says that using a range of financial, non-financial and strategic measures can help ensure that targets are aligned with how the company will deliver value over the long term in line with the company purpose. This is becoming more common with different approaches. Lloyd's Banking Group, for example, have their long-term incentive structure based on a scorecard, including metrics based on customer experience, low complaint rates, and employee engagement. Yes and other industries are already leading in other ways. The mining and oil companies have used safety as key metrics, including in remuneration plans for some time. Of course, we also now have an increasing focus on other ESG metrics. According to the PwC London Business School report, which we discussed in episode four on ESG and pay in the context of corporate governance in our first podcast series, 19% of FTSE 100 companies have ESG measures in their LTIPs, with the most common being environmental. These are measures focusing on decarbonisation and energy transmission. The average weighting of those measures is 
And these uh, measures you've just mentioned, Marie, are all attempts to risk adjust LTIPs via performance measures, but it's clear there's a long way to go. To continue listening, click onto the next episode in this podcast series, where we'll cover the use of restricted shares and overriding formulaic outcomes as alternative methods of risk adjustment, as well as participants' likely reactions. In the meantime, please do get in touch if you'd like to discuss any of the topics we've spoken about today in greater detail. Thank you, Ben.